Ochoa. You know, just saying your name gets me into that podcast mode. It really does. But Miss Ochoa, <laughs> okay. I have a question for you today. My question is very simply, so to speak, why does it feel like now is a time of reckoning in education? Why does it feel like there is there are battles everywhere around education. It's it's in the news every day. It's been building up. It has been this. Is education under attack from your point of view? Is it do you feel like education is under a microscope right now that we just haven't been able to evolve through that we're just in this this battle? And if we are, why do you think it's happening now? Well, I think um I think you're definitely seeing seeing it on the news a lot, you know. But I think it's been under attack for a long time, personally. Um, different different ways, um, you know, because used to in America they had, you know, the Bibles were in the school and you know all of that, and and of course, you know, I think that was the first time that um, in the '60s, I think, when they took all of that out. I know that my sister, she still remembers them doing the daily Bible verse. My reading teacher had Bible verses and stuff in the classroom. So that would not hold today. I mean, you're looking at in the 60s, for example, the, the you well, in, in, you know, 1957, when they, they actually, uh, Brown versus Board of, the, of Education, when they desegregated, you know, it took, that was in 57. And I mean, we were still having trouble like in, uh, 65, 66, 67, I know that uh, my parents, my dad was um, a teacher back then in 65, and they had already desegregated where he was at in the Panhandle part or West Texas. And so they had bust all the students, like his his actual team was, you know, he was a coach. So he had um, a blended group, but not everybody accepted all that. And so uh, my dad says that that was about the time they started making everybody do their professional development. And it was all in the first professional development things that he remembers is helping all of your students be able to get along in these kind of times. So I think there's always been this kind of we're under a microscope because we are actually in the public, right? But I think now, when you're looking at that, we still have some of those racial tensions that's been going on a lot lately. Um, you know, we are definitely a blended society when it comes to the groups of kids that we have in our classrooms. I mean, they are all different. We have people from all over. I have somebody from Haiti. I have somebody from uh, Africa. I have somebody from Mexico. I have somebody from El Salvador. I have somebody from California. I have somebody from New York. I mean, I have all of these people in my room right now and they're all different. That's not how it was when I first started. It wasn't like that. You had, it wasn't blended at all, at least where we were, you know, where I was at. So I think a lot of changes have happened. And I think because of those changes, that's guided some of our professional development, so to speak. But like I said, I think it's heightened up quite a bit in the last few years. And I think, yes, we probably are under attack in some way. I think mainly it's because of social media. I mean, we've all had to go home. Everybody's gone home. We've had to learn online for the first time in our whole history. The actual classroom is in the living room, so to speak. And everybody is knowing exactly what's being taught. Parents are on the computer with the children. So you've you've actually brought the classroom to the home. And I think that's really opened up a lot of uh, controversy because as we've already talked about all the different groups of people that are out there, they each have their own ideas. You know, it's not just liberal versus conservative, but it's just all different types of people. And it takes time to work through any kind of issues that they may have or misunderstandings or pulling everybody together. And uh, so I do think everybody's in everybody's business, so to speak. But I think social media has a lot to do with it. I think um, now the students without even you knowing it can, can record anything and everything you say. And so any of that gets out. If it's not something that somebody agrees with, 
you know, then yeah, you can really be be under attack in that way. And I think as far as like, you know, I just think that's a, it's a pretty hot topic, just the fact that you asked it, but that's, those are some things that I, um, that I think of, you know, but I mean, I think if we, if we teach our curriculum, we teach what we're supposed to, and we stay within the guidelines and of what we're supposed to teach. And we don't go outside our, if you will, our, our, um, our job description, then I don't think we have anything to worry about, you know, but I think it's, it's when we have individuals that go outside their job description and start bringing in their own ideas and not staying within the umbrella of the district or of their state or of their country, you know, exactly what they're supposed to be in and what they're supposed to teach when they start venturing outside that umbrella, then uh, look out. And I think that's the kind of stuff that gets us brought, gets attention brought to us uh, as educators. And then from there, we are under a microscope. But I think COVID has a lot to do with what we're feeling right now, all the pressure and everything. And it is way more than it used to be. Did that answer your question? It did. It did. And, uh, you know, it's going to segue perfectly into our topic of the show. But welcome, everyone. This is Scrap the Draft. That is Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're two English teachers here down in the state of Texas. We love Workshop Craft and Draft as our journal system. And we explore all kinds of topics around uh, English and education as it pertains to workshop. And today, I feel like this topic just... If you look at it on paper, doesn't uh, look as if it is something that would lend itself to a workshop conversation. But I've been thinking about this because we've been, you know, I, we we came up with the idea not too long ago, and I've just been batting around these ideas. And I think our conversation about how this is affecting teaching is going to lead into workshop and everything else. But today, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the 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 mass exodus of educators. Down here in the state of Texas, we've had about 10 superintendents announce that they are retiring this year. Um, that's a lot for people that don't pay attention to this stuff. Now, people retire all the time, but this is also coming at a time where uh, educators are quitting more than normal. And you got to remember before the time that we're talking about now. So when I started Teach Me Teacher, for instance, that, that podcast has been going for about six years. That first episode starts with a statistic that 50% of new teachers quit within the first five years. That That's what that podcast was built upon. And now okay. the, the statistic is, is, is far worse, right? We have a teacher shortage. We have a sub shortage. We have everything else in between. And our question is, how is this going to affect the future? What is the next phase of education? And we'll 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 talk big concepts, but we we will kind of hone it back into English and and literacy practice because I think we've in our own district as well we've seen some uh, changes for good and bad that some of them agree with we agree with and some of them have not and some of them are direct responses to. Um, some of the new pushes in education. So that's what we're covering today. It's going to be a meaty uh, episode of ideas and whatnot. So we'll try to, we'll see how far we get in terms of in-depth conversation. But this is Craft and Draft, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. You talked about, you know, the the Bible being in education and stuff. So there is a, a podcast where, you know, some people, I don't know how our audience feels about this particular human being or both of them, but Joe Rogan was interviewing a man named Jordan Peterson, who has had his fair share of controversy and fame and everything else. And everyone knows Joe Rogan right now because he's under attack from a variety of people. But Rogan literally, I mean, his podcast is the podcast that it's the biggest podcast in the world. He got a multi, several multi, multi-million dollar deal to be on Spotify. Like he is, he's the juggernaut that had basically changed changed podcasting. Now, I don't listen to him anymore because I don't have uh, Spotify. I don't use it. So I don't have access to his show. But I've gotten every once in a while I see clips. And if there's an interesting guest, I pay attention. But Jordan Peterson was recently on there. And he was talking about how in the Western culture, um, and really culture at large, if you think about it, but that the Bible itself was literally the first book right it was it was the first thing now we know that the it's not a book in terms of you know beginning to end it's a canon it's a it's a library and he says that in the podcast but he was like this is literally the book so anything that kind of spawned from this is has its lineage due to the bible 
right? And, mm-hmm. and how the Bible really did. It was the, that's what people had, right? If you had a book, it was that. It was the, it was the book that people read. It's how people became literate was through this. And, you know, that dates back to King James and all these other things. But there's, uh, there, it was, it was such an interesting idea. And you just bringing up how, you know, God being in all of this, I, as someone who isn't deeply embedded in religion, I still really love these, uh, the kind of underlying, um, uh, kind of the, the historical nature of this, because it is some of the stuff that we deal with in education. We, we've said on this podcast before that education is the, is the, is, or teaching is the job that creates all other jobs. Right. But it also comes into contact with so many areas, right? We're, we're very anthropological in that sense where we we touch on so many parts of culture and religion and stuff like that. And for us in literacy, I, it was just a really interesting thought of, you know, cause if you, if you take this, as the Bible being kind of the origin of books, right? And everything from there has kind of or in, has kind of evolved from there in our stories that we tell, right? The hero's journey is very much tied to, uh, you know, Christ's journey, right? De- depending on how you read it and take it. But that those narrative beats, right? The Cain and Abel. I mean, how many times have we seen those stories repeated in fiction and movies and everything else? And yeah, it, it was just... This comes to mind. Right, right. And I mean, there's, there's so many... Staff. Which would yeah. have been that magic uh, helper, so to speak, yeah, in right. the ge- hero's journey. The mm-hmm. deus ex machina. I mean, there's all kinds of things mm-hmm. that step in. And it, it was just an interesting thought for, you know, for anyone who's interested in just like the origin of why we tell stories and why certain things exist. But to really, I mean, we can really date it back to something physical, which I think is is fascinating, especially in this time of book burning, right? I mean, the the first book ever, the Bible, has had its fair share of times where it was welcomed, where it wasn't welcomed, where it was banned and everything else. And I think that is such a fascinating... There, there's a parallel there that I think is it's so big that it's really hard to put into words about what's happening now. I'm not saying we're going through a religious crusade or whatever now, but in some instances we are. We're fighting the same battles that human beings have been fat, battling for hundreds and thousands of years, and it's really... You know, this, what does truth mean? Who should have access to knowledge? Who should be educated? And I feel like our, like, you know, you take all of that and move away from the the religious and more to a societal standpoint. I mean, you brought up, um, you know, the civil rights and how, you know, it's, we really haven't had equal education, equal access to education for very long. I mean, just a few generations. Within my lifetime. And so I, the, the, when we talk about like the growing pains of what's happening right now, it's and the the challenges and the and the the ideas on many sides of saying what should be in schools, what shouldn't be in schools. You know, this is all so new. It might not feel like that for a lot of people. I mean, I'm pretty young, right? I'm 31, so I've I've seen this stuff, but I also haven't. But to put it in context, it's it's just one of those things where I'm like. Man, like I feel like we should give ourselves some slack sometimes for not having all of the answers. <laughs> like and and be willing to admit like, you know, I was wrong here or I changed my mind here or no, this makes me double down on these things. I don't know. I, I feel like this this connects to our topic today because education and educators, I feel like we feel so much pressure of this uh from so many sides that this is this I feel like this is at least in part uh one reason why so many teachers are leaving right now, so many principals and leaders, is we are at, uh, for better or for worse, we are at a point in education where something's going, something's happening, right? We don't know where it's going to end up. There's a lot of legislation being thrown around. There's a lot of new ideas. There's people pushing from various sides and educators are caught in the middle. So I feel like that pressure builds up, but it's also like, where are we going next? Where is this leading Miss Ochoa, that's that's the question, and I just I'm interested to see just from your perspective because you have, you know, you're you're the wisdom of this podcast, right? You yeah. you've seen so much and you've gone through so many phases, and your parents were teachers, so you have that background as well. So I feel mm-hmm. like you have a lot of context to this, but I mean, do you? Is it overly dramatic to say that we are? It's safe to say we are at a turning point at the very least. We can't maybe we can't predict the future, but right here, right now. Things will be changed forever. We just don't know the answers. Is it fair to say that, or is that dramatic? Oh, I don't know if it's completely dramatic. I mean, I know I think it's a pivot of some sort. 
How about that? Would that be a better? That's kind of a turn, but not always a full turn. Yeah. So not not so, not a three not at one eighty, right? We're not going the other way. It's just something I, is causing us to change lanes or change roads. Right. I think so. I mean, it's almost like you're in a Ray Bradbury novel, <laughs> especially with all this technology. You know, with the computer taking over and the you know anyway that cost my mind just now, but. <clears throat> Well, in some no, parts I of think... America, we're in Fahrenheit 451, so. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I, um, you said that, you know, when you told me that this might be a topic we want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, just this last week we got, uh, they sent something through the mail. I don't know if you looked at it, but it was uh, the personnel report from the board meeting. And uh, I always look at those. I look at those every, every uh Every month they come out, I always go straight to the personnel. I want to see who's leaving that I know or who, whatever. But typically at this time, there's not very many resignations, but I got news. It was... It was big. It was a lot of resignations in the middle of the year. And it's not retire. I mean, and then you go down there and there's quite a few people retiring. But there are actually more resignations than retirement announcements from what I could see. It was quite a bit. I was kind of surprised uh, well, how many... And we have uh, just a talk. I mean, what I think what spawned this idea too for us was our principal's retiring, right? Now, right. She had, and we can and talk she about was this on now that on the list. podcast. Yeah, she, well, it's she public was on that now. list. So it's public. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, she told us not too long ago. But, you know, I've, for people that have followed me for a while, you know, I've been through several principals. You've obviously been through several principals, but this campus specifically, I've been through four. This would be number five coming up. And, um, her resignation, you know, she is at that time, like she's someone who she, she would have retired a few years ago, but she was asked to come to our campus and do all this other stuff. Um, so that it's not quite the same thing, but it's also, I mean, if all of this wasn't going down, right. If COVID wasn't here, if there wasn't so much political pressure, there's maybe people like her would be staying longer. Right. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are just saying, you know what, I'm here. But I'm not, I am not mentally, physically present enough to be a part of whatever this change is. So there's, I feel like there's that piece. And then there's this piece where you said where there's a lot of just people resigning. They're not retiring. They're, many of them are leaving education. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of quote unquote edu celebrities, as they call them on Twitter, who, have stepped out of the classroom because of some reason or another, and they just never, they haven't gone back, right? They've, they've, they've left and they do all of these things. And I have my beliefs about those types of people, but they, there's so many more, more and more people do those people changing professions. There was this huge Twitter thread the other day where someone was like, Hey, if you're leaving education, what are you doing? And it's all these people like, Oh, I'm selling houses. I'm going, you know, I'm doing all of this. And it's just like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, like everyone is leaving. And it is there. There's a part of me that makes me sad because there, there's so many great educators that are being lost right now. Um, but I can't help, but I'm, I'm always the, the optimist except for when COVID changes my plans and I come on here and complain, but I feel like my, uh, I don't know. I feel like this is a, this is a moment where we can either seize the change for the better or this could really go downhill fast. And I mean, it could literally change what public education means in America Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I was thinking earlier uh, on this topic, and and uh, the superintendents is—it's pretty unbelievable how many superintendents across the United States is retiring at this point in time. And and in one way, like you said, that it's sad that they're leaving, but honestly, it it is also an opportunity for whoever wants to take it. And uh, so I think it's going to open a lot of doors for people. The problem is we are actually in a shortage of those being trained to teach. And I think that's where the real problem is. Um, It's being able to replace these people. I mean, when people are leaving, as many uh, as we're seeing, uh, being able to replace them, uh, you know, I think is really difficult. And so that's forcing our legislators and all of that to make changes in what quali- what does a qualified teacher look like? Uh, you know, when when 
those changes came about earlier too, because when my parents taught and when I first started teaching at the beginning of our careers, we had, there was no alternative certification. And so you had to take your four hours, I mean, your four years of school and you had to actually declare education as one of your majors or you couldn't or a minor, or you couldn't get in. So like in my case, I have a double major in English and history, but then I have a minor in education. So uh, that's what I know because that's what I went to school for. And then I had to go into six, I guess it was the first semester of um, student teaching and I had to student teach in every field that I was going to do. So if I was going to do history, I had to do history. I had to do English. So I I had to show that I was capable of teaching in both of those areas. And then I had to have a test in my pedagogy and I had to have a test in each one of my majors. So that's just to get into teaching. Well, now uh, a lot that we still have the test, we do, but you don't have to be a minor in education. You don't have to, in, in order to teach, you know, you just have to, you know, be degreed. But now they're even, I was reading uh, earlier that they're like in Kansas, they have even taken and changed the legislation for emergency certification. All you have to do is be eight, have finished high school, be 18 or above, and you can be emergency certified. So what? You know, I mean... (laughs) That's 18 years old. I can't so, imagine. What's interesting? I can't imagine. What's interesting about that? So I, I don't know how if people in Craft and Draft know this, but I'm so I'm alt certified, right? I mm-hmm. knew I teaching. And I'm was one the of those, real teacher. You are the real teacher. <laughs> Just teasing. Our uh, um, I'm by, I have a I have a point to make on that in a second, but oh, okay. Our, <laughs> No, so my alt cert because I teaching was one of those things where I was like I think I would want to do that, but it wasn't something that I wanted to pursue, so to speak. You know, I was, right. you know, I'm very artistic. I wanted to do these things, and I kind of I went into communications and all that, and then, you know, I got a taste, like a, a very mild taste of when corporatism meets education because I worked at a a for profit college in my last job before a teacher, and so, but my job was with high school kids. So I had this taste of working with like young people and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I got to go to some high schools and stuff. And I was like, this is great. Like I've like it reinvigorated my, as I was ending my year in college or whatever, or my, not my year, my degree in college, I had this experience where I was interacting with these kids and seeing schools. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, I just, I love these kids. I think they're super fun or whatever. And I was getting like the corporate side because with a for-profit college. And I was like, oh my God, I hate the, like, I just hated like these talks about numbers and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was, I was so miserable with that job. But so I had this experience where, you know, I ended up calling my mentor and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm finishing up my degree. I'm aware that I can get all alternatively certified or whatever, but I just want to like get a taste of the educational world. I was like, how do I become a sub or whatever? And so my, but my way in was I never subbed or did any of that. I just, I did the interview for an educational assistant and they liked what I had to say and my background and stuff. And they were like, well, we can get you into this alternative certification program because your degree is fine. All you have to do is pass your generalist test or content test, whatever I want to take. I ended up taking our uh, four through eight generalist, but take the generalist. You literally get hired on a probationary certificate to teach. And if you do well and you do everything you're supposed to do and you pass everything you need to do, then after a year, you can be a certified teacher, but you get the salary, you get the benefits and everything else. And I was like, that sounds great. Cause this was like a huge pay rate. I was making like, right. I don't remember what my last income was. I think I was making like 14 or $15 an hour at the time. Um, not guaranteed 40. So, you know, it was iffy. Um, but, uh, so it was like this huge jump. And the first time I was ever in the classroom was that day one, but that I benefited from a shortage that like a solution to a previous shortage. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And 
um, there's a lot of teachers like me who have fell into it that way, who have d- dedicated themselves to professional development, who have, uh, worked with other people to get better and to really work through all of the gaps in our knowledge that we have when we go to, to teach that way. But there's also tons and tons and tons of people who fail doing that. They jump in and they're, it's over their head and, uh, and they, they're, there uh, tons of schools and districts don't have good onboarding systems so they're not protected by mentors or whatever and they they quit right and i now we're at, like you said we have states that are making it the bar even less and i had a conversation on twitter the other day where someone was talking about how they're fighting to end regulation on some of this stuff like to where you don't have to have all of these degrees to be a principal for instance he was like i think there's a lot of people who could be great teachers and stuff if they were just given the shot. It should be up to the schools to decide who teaches. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. There's a part of me like that is, I, you know, my laissez-faire capitalism kicks in and I'm like, yeah, let, let the market decide, right? Let it happen. But there's also like, oh my God, I can only imagine how furious I would be if a school hired somebody who was unqualified to work with special needs kids and they were assigned my child, right? Who can right. be very difficult. My for people that know my son has autism and he has behavior issues quite a bit and it takes professionals to to really handle him well. And I'm just like, I mean, I don't know. I this is this is this is just an offshoot of this problem, but it's like, you know, who it, it, it's. I think it's going to come down to this whole educational idea of there's a lot of people legislating these new laws and pushing for these new um, policies who haven't stepped into a classroom, right? This whole idea that teachers are indoctrinating kids and stuff. If we can indoctrinate kids at the level that a lot of these people w- think we do, then kids would show up with pencils, right? Like we... <laughs> We got bigger problems that. that we're working with. <laughs> I've been doctor, but I just give them the pencil. They're like, exactly. this Ochoa. And I say, oh, you need a pencil? Okay, well, here it is. And I don't even worry about it. I have a whole huge box of them that I got from Amazon, and they're already sharpened, and I just hand them out like, like candy. I, there's a part of me that believes that so many people think that kids show up, they sit quietly in this desk, and teachers just preach to them, and kids just listen. Kids don't... I have to work to get them to listen when I'm doing something engaging, let alone saying, all right, kids, here's your new political dichotomy that you're going to work with for the rest of your <laughs> life. They don't care. Yeah, but I mean, uh, of course, I don't. I can't speak for other places. I've only been at this place, and I don't feel like we're indoctrinating these students, so I don't no. know what's really going on in the other places. There's bad, there's bad eggs, but there's, there's bad eggs everywhere. Like, you can't. Yeah. It's hard to summarize, but anyway, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, you're good. I mean, it's just, but that is one of the things. But I do know, though, those bad, bad eggs you're talking about. If we're going to be on Zoom and doing all these other things and we're in the living rooms of these kids where their parents are watching and you think you're going to go ahead and say whatever you want to and it's not a part of what your curriculum is, you don't, and the kid, parents disagree with it. I mean, I think it's their right to find out what's really being uh taught is that teacher in line or is that teacher going out of line and i think it's important for them to know i mean i would if with my student my own children i want to make sure that i'm you know i know what what they're doing and so i don't know i mean i don't think we need to be in so much business that we can't let the teachers teach i mean that's not i mean that is not okay but i do think that we need to have some kind of standard that we don't like go out a lot. These are somebody else's children. They're not my children as far as my personal children. But I mean, there are certain things that I want taught or not want forced down, uh, you know, or whatever change, try to change their opinions about certain things. And then they come home and they're like totally different. And it does, you know, so I think, I think we have the right as parents to, to know what to do. I mean, not know what to do, but what's being said to the students. So, I mean, I don't have a problem being questioned. Sure. But- well, and I think that the 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 people that are doing this right, like I, I said this the other day, I was like, any, any parent who has any concern, you're welcome in my classroom at any point mm-hmm. in time. I've Come had sit. them sit in my classroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
Not because have, of me, because they're yeah, kid. They, usually usually right. it's because their students are in trouble. But now I we've had. Well, that's the thing. Like, uh, the. I, I've said this kind of over and over again, and I, I keep beating this drum, but it's one of those things where if you if if you're listening to a source and they're trying to pit education versus parents or whatever, they're lying to you. They're they're trying to get mm-hmm. you fired up on one side or the other. They're trying to fire you up as a teacher to say these parents are coming after you. If you're a parent, they're trying to say the the teachers are coming after you. And of course, there's there's bad examples. You can find a bad example of everything, but in, in the vast majority. Parents and teachers, we want the same goal. We're trying to support the kid. We're trying to do this. It should be a partnership. Anyone that's mm-hmm. telling you otherwise are trying to manipulate you into something, right? Um, right. And that is, I feel like that's a, that's a key piece to this. Where we, fe- I, I feel like some of this, like, uh, like there's a there's a lot of parents going to board meetings right now, right? And they're they're we've had more book challenges in our district than we've ever had, right? And the vast majority of those book challenges are going through, well, actually all of them are going through a process, but the vast majority of them really aren't leading to any type of censorship, uh, whatever. But there's parts where they are. Like uh, one thing that just made headlines was Mouse that just got banned in Tennessee, I believe. And that's crazy. It is a, it's a graphic novel that gets kids to interact with the Holocaust and stuff. And it's being banned because it shows like a mouse nude or whatever. And like just that sentence alone is kind of stupid. Like there's a part of you that, that gets it, but to, to ban these, we, we are in a slippery slope right now of this almost like culture war where it's like, who, who can ban the most ideas first to win? And I've, I've always been on the side of let, ideas come to the table and the best ideas will proliferate, right? They will be Mm -hmm. the ones that spread. They do this because if you let ideas just battle, it's, it's much of the, the capitalistic idea, right? That you let businesses go to war with each other and the best ones rise to the top. It's the same thing with a market of ideas. You have these ideas come to the table. Now the problem is, and I think this is where the contention comes from is, there's educators out there who aren't interested in the market of ideas. They're interested in pushing their ideas, right? They're like, well, you're wrong. And it's like, well, as an educator, you can't ever really take that stance, right? Now, there are some uh, – the like there's some examples where we can, right? We know like genocide and racism and uh, anything that is like the like it, where you're where you're destroying a civilization, right? Nazism, uh, white supremacy, um, uh, anything like that, right? Where or what's happening in China right now, where they're locking people up. Right, based on their race and their uh, ethnicity and everything else, there like that stuff are, are the speakable evils that we that no one in their right mind is ever going to against. So when it's it's like almost a straw man where you say, well, we have to have the market of ideas. It's like, of course, we're not saying the market of ideas of Nazism. We're talking about the just the market of ideas of political things, right? Things that people say where they want to. Where where we disagree, there's there are people that dis like let's let's use a really obvious example that probably wouldn't necessarily come up in any secondary classroom unless it's high school or government so to speak, but like abortion, right? That that's a topic where everyone gets fired up, everyone's got an opinion about it, but there are people that argue for and against who are friends, family members, they're all of these things. But for a teacher to come up and say this is facts on this topic, that's when. I feel like that's that's a part of this culture piece is that I feel like some teachers are being indoctrinated into this idea that they have to stand up there. And as an advocate for something, you have to push for something. And I think, honestly, a, being a better advocate is pushing for kids to contend with their family beliefs, society beliefs, all the facts, and let them decide where they land. I feel like that is such a better form of advocacy for the individual to decide what they want and which groups they kind of want to be a part of than to advocate by pushing an agenda on something. And I feel like that's where, I mean, it's, there's definitely groups out there who want to, to push ideas. And I don't know, do you think that's what's flaming a lot of this is, is people believe that advocacy is, is pushing an agenda in the classroom? Well, probably, I mean, um, 
I, I take the practice of if it's something like what you just mentioned, uh, I try to stay away from that, especially. Sure. <laughs> so I don't even bring it up. I'm like, well, that one. So sometimes I might bring I might be forcing something by omission, if you will. But uh, I figured if it doesn't belong in my curriculum. Well, it's also not a part. Of, that's what I say. It's like it's also not a part of our, our curriculum. But, yeah. But uh, I do think that any agenda that I should be pushing, if there's an agenda to be pushing, and that is an open mind, flexible thinking, teaching the students to think logically through a problem, through a process, being able to communicate that with each other and come to their own conclusions. And I, I do think that that is really what, if I'm pushing an agenda, that would be the agenda I'm pushing. And that is, you know, and then try to be creative in your thinking and try to find new solutions when there's a problem. And how do you go about doing that? So to me, I think thinking skills, and I think that's why a workshop, if you will, is so important because it does provide the students to work through problems. It does provide them to investigate any ideas that they're interested in. I'm not bringing up the the topics in the way that I do it. They bring up the topics in the way that they do it. And so, uh, for example, we're, we're in our argumentative. You know, we finished a drama, so I'm doing argumentative essay. So I could give them a topic. I could give them uh, the one you mentioned, or I could give them uh, any other topic, right? But those are the topics I'm pushing if I bring those up. So I might hit something like we did. I did dodgeball the other day. So I used dodgeball. Uh, should it be in school? Should it not be in school? Okay, that seems pretty okay uh, topic. And the kids had a definite opinion and they all think it should be in school. But then I had about three or four students in each class that said, no, I've been picked on. I've been hit. I don't think it should be in school. So so it was a good one because we did have a little variety. They're not writing on it, but I used that topic to show them how arguments are developed on either side. I showed them that there's an, there's an argument, a claim and a counterclaim or an argument and a counterargument, depending on how you want to say it. And then there's uh, all the different uh, types of uh, ways that you can bring in that counter argument and then bring in your own argument and then support it. So we showed them that and then the students had to pull out the actual reasons. So they were able to do that. Well, then they took those reasons and they, they put together as if they were going to write an essay on that. So now where we're at is they, we did a kind of a brainstorming. I changed it just a little bit. I always say brainstorming, but they had to think about all these different topics. And so we kind of went around the room and talked about the different topics that they would be interested in. And uh, and so then they chose their own and created their own list of topics that they're interested in. One comes to my mind because I did tell the students the reason we're doing it this way is because it's more important for me for you not to do the topic that I want you to do, but for you to do a topic that you're really interested in, because then you'll really do a good job on this. And I really want you to do the research. And I showed them all this stuff. Well, anyway, one of the topics that one of the students came up with is, should I be able to draw what I want in art? (laughs) Or do I always have to do what the teacher wants me to? And I thought, beautiful. (laughs) I said, you know where I would lean. He goes, yeah, you would lean over here with the choice. So he even knows that mine is all about choice. But it was interesting because I think, I think that came to his mind because he's in art and he's tired of having to draw. He's ready to venture out and he's having to draw what they, you know, the pictures that they give him and uh, which is fine. We know what they're doing. They're teaching skills and they're teaching stuff, but he wants to do some of his own and apply what he's learning to some of his own stuff because he's getting bored with their stuff. So I thought it was kind of fascinating that that's one of, that's the topic he's choosing is choice in art. So I thought that was kind of cool. So you never know what they're going to get. I would have never come up with that topic. You know, what's funny is uh, <clears throat> I have a lot to, to hit on there. I was like mentally taking notes on what to kind of capitalize on there. But one of the best classes I've ever seen uh, when I was like as a literacy coach walking around was an art class. And just walking in there and just seeing how they, I think it was at a, a one of our top middle schools that we visited together um, oh, with uh-huh. our principal at the time. And we went into art and I was like, this is workshop. 
it was her select art class, but it was, mm-hmm. they were choosing stuff and she was walking around mentoring them through art decisions and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this is, this is the creative act of workshop. This is awesome. Like I was totally bought in. So just that note, shout out to art teachers, but, um, this, the, I, so uh, to preface like everything that we talked about, why I feel like this is so important for the future of education, what we're talking about is we've, we've detailed with your help because of your vast knowledge of the history of it, but the, the research and how long workshop has really been around, right? This is not Mm -hmm. workshop is not the, the, the literally the most brand new thing. It's been around. This is the legacy has been around. It's changed. It's morphed. It's been all kinds of different things. Um, what's happened in education is that there's been this more, this bigger and bigger push for standardization, right? It, it was, it's cropped up in a lot of ways. I think the most notable ones are the ones I talk about all the time, which was no child left behind and then race to the top, both with, with Bush and Obama's era and, and kind of the repercussions that that's had on common core plus states like ours, which isn't common core, but is very influenced by common core. If you mm-hmm. want any proof of that, just compare the standards. They're very close. Um, but it's this uh, it's this idea of what do we mean when we say educate? And I think the people who are willing to stand up and say, hey, this being able to go through a program and do something is not as valuable as kids being able to critically think through choices, decision making. We've done podcasts where we talk about how that that choice is is a part of the rigor of workshop, being able to make good decisions or make bad decisions and learn why they were bad after you did them, right? Learning how to, you halfway through a piece, you're like, this isn't working. Having someone be able to think through that is vital, not just for jobs where you might want to like, if you're trying to email someone about a raise or a job position or trying to advocate for some type of change at your company or whatever, but also in just their their lives in terms of being able to think through what's this politician saying what's this i mean there's what we're trying to do here is create a classroom where we're not pushing specific ideas what we're pushing is the development of a way to think a way mm-hmm. to think through reading a way to think through writing and if you can do those two things then you're going to be unstoppable. If you can critically think about what someone's feeding you in their in their writing and you can craft your writing to achieve whatever purpose you're trying to achieve, whether it's a, a society goal, a community goal, a business goal, a personal goal, whatever it is you're trying to do, you are going to be equipped so much more to be able to do it. And honestly, if you can think well, then you can, like we've had students that don't really, like they come in, they read, you know, a lot of kids come into contact with Anne Frank's story, for instance, in like the eighth grade, right? That's like a, a very common time in Texas uh, where kids are coming into contact with. They, you know, they know about the Holocaust, they know this, but they don't really, right? They don't really have the history historical knowledge. But it's one thing to say, yeah, this was bad, but it's an entirely other thing and more beneficial to things say, okay, so why, what leads to this type of thinking? How do groups get manipulated by charismatic leaders to literally cause atrocities to millions of people? That thinking is what saves societies, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not enough to believe the right things if you don't understand why you should think a certain way in the first place, right? And I put should in quotes, but why you, what leads to that thinking. And I think that is what workshop is. We're teaching kids how to not only uh, interact with our content through our standards, but we're allowing them to take what we're teaching, the content, our curriculum, and we give them freedom to manipulate that in a way that serves whatever they're interested in. So we get best of both worlds, right? This is workshop. This is teaching what we need to teach. We teach commas. We teach grammar. We teach vocabulary. Mm-hmm. We teach structure. We teach genre. We do all of this stuff. And then we say, okay, you have this information. How do you want to use this? And now let's work through that. And that is such a powerful model for education that that can be what we push for, right? This mass exodus of these people who don't, be, that don't understand this, that, and I'm not saying they all don't understand it, but uh, surely a lot of them don't. There's there's a lot of people leaving that probably should leave, that are holding schools back, that are holding districts back, that are holding classrooms back. But if we advocate for practices that not only are research-based and aligned with 
curriculum, but also empower kids to really use their knowledge for something that they want to use it for, then we can, we can really have some great change. But there's also another side of this where if we don't speak loud enough, right? If we don't show why this is valuable enough, which is what craft and draft is all about, which is showing the value of the thinking we're doing in workshop. But if we, if we don't push it enough, then we're going to have corporations and businesses and opportunists walk in and say, Hey, your kids are behind Buy this program for, you know, $50,000 a year. And your kids will close their reading gaps based on our tests that we write for them. (laughs) <laughs> we're going to not a, we're going to write the test that shows them that they're growing based on what we are providing you. And the best thing, the teacher just has to sit back, put the kids on a Chromebook and say go for it. The teacher is now a facilitator of computer programs. That is a future that is not only currently happening, but could be the reality if we do not advocate for this bigger stuff. And that's that's what the, the positive is we can do this. The negative is if we don't have enough people focused on this and really working with schools and leaders and showing the value of this, we might have a, a much more insidious role, which is uh, we become computer program facilitators. And there's Ray Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And he That's saw my this. biggest fear. He saw this. No, I agree with you. And I mean, I do think, I mean, I think there's some things that you said there that, very important that we need to have a voice to show them uh, how this can work. And I, I do wonder though, would we have more teachers staying if they, if they actually knew workshop? I mean, are they leaving? My question, are they leaving because COVID is just making everything too hard? Are they leaving because like you said, they're like you had asked me earlier, are we under attack? Are they leaving because the kids are not engaged because they're having to do a program and the kids are not liking the program. I mean, I do think that the students coming back from um, COVID this last year, it it has impacted um, a little bit in their behaviors and uh, not knowing how to go to school and things like that. I just, I do see that. And I think it's up to us to teach them how to do school. And I think sometimes that that's pretty daunting task because the students, and I've had a few days this year that have been kind of like, what, where did this come from? Because, and I think if, if I had not seen the other positive of all my, uh, I would say 95% of my students are great. It's those 5% or 3% that kind of make it difficult this school that I, we're at right now, they support us. But I guarantee you on some of my incidences that I've had this year where students decided that they were in control and I wasn't, uh, and I took control, you know, I mean, it might not have gone as fast as it used to in the old days where I could just take them out there <laughs> and say, bend over, because I have done that, you know, that that ended it real fast, by the way. I just want to let you know that corporal punishment, I'm not really for it, <laughs> but it did bring... A faster result. That that I will tell you. It did bring a faster result. So anyway, but um, but we have we have a, a group of administrators in our campus that support us, or at least I feel like they do. They do me, and uh, that very next day it was taken care of, and I hadn't had any issues since. So um, on some of those things. So so the point is, if they are in a situation where their administrators are not backing them up or the administrators don't know what to do about how to help back their students, uh, teachers up, then I could see why it would almost get too hard or too daunting. And it's just like, well, you know, I could be, as my auntie Dina would say, sipping coffee in the backyard in the mornings (laughs) instead of having to go to work and face the students that are not being nice. But when I look at it, it's really just a few of my students that are being that way. And uh, I have enough experience that I can, I can pretty much deal with it. So, but these young kids, I mean, if they're coming in at 18 years old and they don't have anything but high school education, I just, I don't know how they can, I mean, it might be better for them just to be a computer programmer 
or a computer uh, monitor. Well, that's the thing. Like uh, to go back to you know, I, I in my own self, I almost have uh, conflicting ideas about some of this stuff, and you know. I, you know, I, I do appreciate the, the free market when it's actually free, right? I think a lot of what we judge as the free market is really uh, a free, a free market subsidized by government intervention a little bit. And some of that's valid, but some of it, it ruins the free market economy. I think that's how you get these big conglomerates and whatnot. And, you know, I, I've battled with this a lot in education where, um, it, we it's almost like as a country that is so focused on capitalism and individualism and whatnot is, you know, school and public school and specifically the role of public school is a, is a very socialist idea, right? The idea that it's, it's, it's equal across the board. It's, it's, it's almost like a merger of this free economy slash this more, uh, socialist idea. And I think America has always contended with that. And I think we're at a point to where as a country, we're battling with this, right? Where we've had polar opposites in leadership, literally from the very top and, and our parties are getting more polar. And I think mm-hmm. that education's feeling this just because we're, we're such a, a big point of this, but it really comes down to, uh, where do we want this country to go? And for, as someone as me, who I really do, I love freedom. I love, um, I love, you know, just the, the idea of letting the market kind of decide for itself. There's also bad downsides to that. You know, if we just allow like, for instance, like 18 year olds to, you know, become teachers, you know, how many 18 year olds have to be, uh, have to, have to be immoral for that to go bad. Right. I mean, one doing that, and this is where these regulations come from. You need kind of these loopholes uh, not loopholes. You need these, uh, safeguards for people to like, Hey, you can't get to this level unless you pass like the bare minimum of requirements. And, you know, I, there's a part of me that's like, yes. And there's a part of me that's like, open it up. I feel like, you know, I go back to my son. I'm like, would I want an 18 year old who has very little qualification on paper to do this? I'm probably not. Right. And I just, right. I, education is so intertwined with things. There's so many laws that, that are needed, right? You need laws that hold educators to, to, you know, honor IEPs and honor, uh, the stuff that kids need and to provide them with the services that they need to be uh, successful in a, in a, regardless of who they are. And I feel like that is a promise that we've made as a country and we really believed in. And now it becomes of, okay, I mean, are we going to give up on that and only educate, uh, and only, you know, only provide the resources to the kids that are in the right place at the right time. You know, this also goes to the whole choice argument of, mm-hmm. you know, someone made this argument where it's like, you know, if you don't like the grocery store that's close by your house, you drive an extra 15 minutes to get to the grocery store that you like. Why can we do that with food, but we can't do it with education, right? Why are so many kids limited to, to being in a place where they're not successful? And it's, you know, there's a part of me that like, that is, that is such a, a choice advocacy, which usually goes against public education. But there's also a huge part of me that's like, why can't they go where they can go? You know what I mean? If you're at a campus mm-hmm. where your kid is failing for some reason, whether it be the kids that are there, the teachers that are there, yeah. the leadership that's there, whatever it is, right? Whatever the problem is, why can you, why is it moral to say, nope, you have to be there because of your zip code? And I find it hard to make a moral argument for that. And that puts me in this weird, I'm a public school advocate, but I'm also an advocate for this freedom of choice and whatnot. And we just, I think it comes down to the, the legislation behind that, that really holds me back because I don't, I don't want any resources to be taken away from public schools. Um, but we, it's going to take this massive change, but this is, I, you know, I, I'm getting, I'm getting to the weeds of the political part of the, of public <laughs> school and charters and whatnot, but to back it up is, this, I think the exodus of teachers and, and leaders and whatnot is, are, I feel like a lot of them are leaving because of unfortunate reasons and I'm very sad for them to go. But I, I truly believe that if I think the vast majority of people are leaving probably shouldn't have been educators in the first place. I think a lot of people sign up for this who aren't ready, who don't know what it means. They like kids, but it's not enough to like kids. It's really not. You can love kids to death and be miserable as a teacher. 
and we've seen them. I've seen them. I've been through four massive turnarounds on my campus, right? I was hired with 15 teachers and I'm the only one left (laughs) (laughs) out of that group. And so I've, I've lived through this and not all, all, some of those teachers were great. They didn't leave, like they didn't leave education. They went to other campuses, which is great. Go to where you're happy, do what you need to do. But there's also people that sign up for education that don't understand what it means when you have a classroom of 25 and you have kids reading in a spectrum of a second grade level and an 11th grade level. People don't understand the type of pressure, the type of expertise it takes, and the type of time it takes to educate a classroom like that. They don't. They do not understand it. Politically, they don't understand it as politicians. They don't understand it as college kids getting ready for stuff. And that's why we do these podcasts because we're trying to help people who are ready to put in the work, but you have to put in the work. And some people sign up too early. And I I think there's a part of me that's like, good, go. If you're unhappy, then go. Um, Are we losing great teachers? Yes. Are we getting rid of some teachers that shouldn't be in education? Yes. Our job as people who are trying to speak to the community comes down to, I get, you know, for me is like, how do we empower people to, you know, listen to our podcast get inspired and go create a workshop and an environment where not only are kids happy and learning, but they're inspired by as themselves as educators. Like we have bad days and we have days where things fall apart. And you know, there's (laughs) days where we go into each other's classrooms and go, Oh my God, I'm going home. Right. Like we (laughs) we have those conversations, (laughs) but I feel like the vast majority of our interactions about school on the podcast and just in our professional lives down the hall from each other is, you know, we're so inspired by the work that we do and the cause that we do. And it, it comes, I think it comes down to people like us, right? People that, that not, they don't have to have a podcast, but people that are just like, we should be bringing people into this process that education doesn't have to be, Hey kids, do this assignment. It's, Hey kids, here's what we're learning. What assignment do you want to make out of this? Like we have that power mm-hmm. and it's such a freeing and inspiring and empowering process and I feel like educate. We just have to be, we have to be collaborative and we have to be open, but we have to be willing to speak out to crap that we don't like. We've done this on our campus. We've advocated when things come down the pipe that we don't like. Well, as Pam is my witness, have we bucked the system when it comes yes. time to do it? Yeah, and we have an administrator that will back us up. Yes, that is but, that's but, our benefit. But we we're have not great leaders. But we're not bucking the system because of something we don't like. We're, we're yeah. bucking the system because we don't feel it's right for our students. Because mm-hmm. as teachers, we've done the work and we know what our students need and what they don't need. And, and they need data. us. And they don't need, and we do have data to support it. But we mm-hmm. also have anecdotal data. And we also have, um, you know, the regular data. And we know we know that our students are getting better. Each test that our students are taking, they're getting better and better at each one. I mean, we just had a pretty successful test. Now we're hoping this next test will be pretty good, but if it if it, if it goes up this next test, then we know we're doing something right. But putting them in front of a computer is not going to raise our test scores. Well, you know, it's it funny. Might, uh-huh. Sorry, go ahead. Go, go, keep going. Keep no, going. no, no. The data will be that they've been on for so many hours, but it's not necessarily going to be data that shows they've gotten better at reading. And so that to me is the wrong kind of, you know, if you're looking at hours on is not the data, we need it to be efficient and effective. And uh, because we don't have the kind of time to sit there and spend long hours on a program that may or may not work. And that's why we defended that. And we'll go to your choice. And I know, keep your thought, because I'm going to talk for just a second longer and then I'll let you go. You're good. You're good. But on the choice thing, you're looking at somebody who all all three of my kids graduated from a different high school based on the choice that was there for them and their personalities and what they needed. So I was in a great opportunity due to the fact that my parents teach and my parents finished, they graduated, graduated, they retired from, from a uh, public school and they finished up. They still had a few more years to go. Um, but uh, anyway, and dad, I think he retired not because he was ready to get out. He retired because uh, they were retiring a lot of people. They had to save money and they chose to retire the ones that were costing them a lot of money, the people at the top. So they needed to bring in new people. So they gave my dad a a package. So he retired, but then he went to work for for a private school. And so that uh, 
uh, was how I was able to afford for my son to go to a private school. And he needed that. That was something he needed because at the high school that he was supposed to go to, it just wasn't going to fit his needs. And he's very successful. Uh, one daughter needed um, uh, sign language. She uh, She's um, fluent in sign language. The other high school didn't offer that, but the other one offered culinary. So I put each one of my students actually because of my situation I was able to do this I actually chose for them to go they all attended public school at some point in my life my son finished at a private school my other two finished at two different public schools so because I worked in the district I had the opportunity to move them at the high school that they needed to go to and so anyway so for for I am for choice in the sense that I've actually experienced being able to put my students where are my, my children as students in places that would best benefit them. And I think as a parent, that's important that we allow them to do that. Now, if we had choice, if we allow that, then it's up to that school in that community to lift their own standards. Other people need to be lifted up because they've got to keep the kids. So if they want, and so to me that, that's something that would put a little pressure on the the area. How do you keep the kids? How do you offer all the things that those students need? Uh, to me, that would create new issues to think about. But uh, anyway, that's it. Don't know where all I went with all that, but there you go. Hopefully, well, it all makes sense. <laughs> I, know, I know we're. I mean, this is really like in the weeds conversations. I think it's really important. I mean, I, and it's important to to talk about because there's not. I don't. There's not a lot of resources that even dare you know, contend with a lot of this, but, um, and, and as part of the choice thing, you know, one thing that we've seen is like Texas, like we, we've tons of charters, right? Like I passed like five mm-hmm. on my way to work. And when they started building them around here, you know what our district did? They ramped up advertising. They ramped up our curriculum. They ramped up a lot of stuff, right? It really did. Cha- it really did cause a lot of, you know, that the competition caused people to raise what they wanted to do, raise the standards and stuff. So, that stuff exists. And, you know, we can have the conversation of whether education should be like that. We're too late in this show to get to that point now. But mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, we have to think of the the American culture and we have to think about this and we and we have to really boil it down to what is what does it mean to be educated in a free society? You know, and I think a, a lot of the the problems that people are facing right now in districts across the United States and across Texas uh, specifically as well is people are deciding that their opinion's right and now they're going to bring that opinion into their world of education. I think parents are um, be, they have more access to education than or maybe they've always had access. I mean, let's be clear. They really have curriculum public. All of this is public. They're, they're having access to how this stuff is being put out there and it's caused a lot of fervor. Um, some of it not warranted, some of it warranted. Um, and it, it's causing this conversation of, you know, it's what does education mean? And I feel like the, the right side of history will be ultimately the teachers who are pushing for great practices, great teaching that isn't convinced at getting kids to believe certain things, but to know how to think. I really do. I think that is where curriculum mm-hmm. is supposed to be. And that's why I'm so against computer programs because computer programs are literally, and I know this as someone who is like mildly addicted to video games, they're literally designed to manipulate you into feeling successful based on a preordained system. That is what computer programs do. They're not any program worth its salt can say, hey, there's a problem. This fixes a problem. Now I'm going to show you all the data that shows you this. Computer programs are more than savvy on how to do this. They know how to create these programs that create a problem and solve the problem all at once. And then they go to districts and they say, hey, we're great. Here's how we're great. Aren't we great? Now spend literally tens of thousands of dollars of your government money on our program. This exists. Like th- this is mm-hmm. this is the great I'm not anti-tech. I'm anti uh computer program designed to take away the job of a teacher. That's what I'm anti. And I think that at the end of the day, this is the choice that we have. We can either at this moment when everything's changing, 
we can we can either fight to get into the roles where we can make these decisions, which I'm personally doing. My whole desire to be in administration is not to be a, a manager or do any of these things. It's because I can advocate with a bigger voice and I can veto things like, you know, and I can push back at a bigger level. That's why I want to be administration and why I want to be a principal and everything else. Um, so we can people like me who want to fight to get that way and or. Uh, people who want to fight in terms of just being a fantastic teacher and working with your leaders and educating them, which we've done before. Or you can sit back, kind of wait for it, and then these companies move in and take it over. And before we know it, we have this <laughs> dystopia, in my opinion, of kids show up, they look at computer screens, everything's measured by how long they're on a particular program. And we and teachers, rather than sitting with a kid going, what ideas are you contending with today? What do you want to write down? What is it that you want to do, right? What books, what, what ideas are your, is your book, you know, encouraging you to think about? What ideas are they challenging you? All of these things. Instead of having those fantastic conferences, we go, I saw that you were on here for 30 minutes, but you've only achieved 10% of your, uh, your path that you were given in this program. What, what what are you doing, right? We get we get to advocate for the world that we want. Not quite frankly, that first one sounds a lot more appetizing to me <laughs> than talking me about too. kids about how much time they're spending on a program versus their progress. So I think that's this is this is the juxtaposition that we're at though, and I, I really do think that with all of these changes, we can go. Oh my God, people are leaving, but the people that are in it, the people that are listening to this podcast, an hour and six minutes in. We're the we're the people that stand up and say, you know what, we want education to go this way, and we're educated, and this is our research, and this is what we want, and we advocate for that, and we can be, we can shift this in a pot, we can use this this mass exodus for positive, but we have to counteract um, some of the more nefarious parts of education, and they're there, they're there. Well. I agree with that. <laughs> we know we know the podcast is over when Miss Ochoa goes, well, we know. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Craft and Draft. Hopefully you enjoyed this long, meandering episode. That's Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two Texas teachers down here in the state of Texas, uh, rocking it out for workshop. We love reading workshop, writing workshop, Craft and Draft. Next podcast, I want to tell you guys this before you go. The next episode, uh, we're going to break down how you can interact with Craft and Draft even more. Hey, you can support our work, but also just get more PD into your life. We have some special stuff. We've been talking about it behind the scenes, um, and we've set our own personal goal for having it ready uh, the next podcast to drop. So stick around. If you, I know some of y'all are emailing me about getting access to mm-hmm. our craft and draft video, which is not live anymore. We've we've been trying to figure out how to do this in a way that is not. Uh, negative to you, but also compensates us fairly for our work and everything. And we think we've kind of figured it out. So next uh, episode, we're going to be detailing that uh, for you guys to interact with and hopefully get the answers that you need, get the support you need to start craft and draft in your own classrooms, but also understand the deeper mechanics behind it that you just can't get in just a podcast, so to speak. You need some videos, you need some guidance, and we're going to provide that for you. So stick around, come back next week for all of that. It's coming, you guys. I'm reading your emails. We're going to bring it to you. But thank you for supporting Craft the Draft. Thank you for reviewing, mm-hmm. subscribing, and all of that. This, as of recording this, Miss Ocho, I haven't told you this, but this is our biggest month of the podcast Way to go. Ever. Thank you, everybody. We have the biggest one. So growth is happening. That means you guys are sharing it. We we really we don't advertise. We have we've spent zero dollars on advertisement for this podcast. The only advertisement that this show gets is putting it out there and mentioning it on Teach Me Teacher every once in a while. Um, we don't really post on our Facebook page, so it's literally <laughs> just you guys sharing and everything. And we there's so many of y'all who are dedicated to craft and draft so many new people listening so we thank you for all the support this podcast we would have stopped a while ago if it wasn't growing but biggest month ever so we're trying to bring you guys the heat and bring you content that is not only free and accessible but also some premium content that is actually valuable to your actual practice so that's coming next week but know that we are here ladies and gentlemen for you 